Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Karma You podcast. Thanks so much for for joining me. I am talking to Dr. Greg Hammer today on the podcast, and I loved this episode. He is really cool. He has written this book called Gain Without Pain, which he wrote for health providers, but actually anyone could benefit from this book. He's a medical doctor. He's a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. He's a mindfulness expert. And I loved this conversation. It felt very, it felt very kind of spiritual speaking to him, actually. He seems like somebody that's actually very, yeah, very in tune, very connected, a very loving person. And he shares about why we all need more resilience. He shares a bit about his own story and he shares quite a bit about this in the book about how he lost his his son at the age of 29 when his son was 29 and, you know, how he's had to deal with that and develop a lot of resilience and how mindfulness and a lot of the approaches that he shares in this book have really helped. And it's really interesting, I think, when, when an author, you know, a self-help author has really been through it themselves had to dig very deep and and really gone through it. You know, I think losing a child is probably, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a person in many ways. And so just hearing he, how he's been able to come out of the other side and connect to gratitude and connect to, you know, a deeper a deeper meaning behind behind things behind life is really really inspiring. And he shares concrete mindfulness steps that you can take in less than 4 minutes each morning to slow down, decompress and feel more positive. And he and he literally takes us through this process that he does every day. And yeah, I found it so, so helpful. It's something that's easy to do. And he's really generously sharing, you know, that whole process with us in this episode. And we talk about why suffering is optional and how to suffer less. I mean, it's a nice, nice idea, isn't it? I don't know. I know the Buddha talks a lot about how suffering is optional, but Greg really talks about that in an interesting way. And yeah, spells it all out for us. So yeah, this is a perfect episode. If you're struggling with something, if you'd like to feel more resilient, if you'd like to be more mindful, more grateful, even in the face of challenges that you might be going through, I think this is a great episode to listen to. So I hope you enjoy it. And as always, in every episode, I invite you to come on over to find me on Instagram. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. I'm on there every day. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. Send me a DM. And I also have a load of free resources for anxiety and confidence over on my website, karmayou.com. I actually have a hyphen in between the karma and you, but if you put karmayou.com, it will also come up. 
So if you head on over to my website, you'll find there's different things you can download and things to support you with your anxiety and with your self-confidence and all that sort of thing. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Amazing. So welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for joining me on the Karma You podcast. How are you today? I'm well. Nice to be with you. So I'm really looking forward to, to talking to you. I love reading your book. Your book's called Gain Without Pain. Could you share first of all a little bit about what it is that you do and how you came to write this book? Sure. I am a pediatric intensive care physician and anesthesiologist and uh, have a research lab as well at Stanford. I joined uh, a group at Stanford called WellMD several years ago when the group was convened in response to the growing prevalence of physician burnout. And so we uh, had hoped and do hope still to address that at Stanford. WellMD is a really unique program. Uh, At the time, I think that Stanford was perhaps the first uh, university medical school to uh, convene such a group. We developed a rubric for the causes or drivers of burnout and, and therefore what might be the remedies. I was asked to give a talk at a national meeting based on the WellMD involvement. And then uh, one thing led to another, and I found that I was giving lots and lots of talks on the topic of wellness and burnout. And uh, then I had some sabbatical time, which is a benefit of being a university professor. And I decided to uh, write the book just in order to get the message out to a wider audience. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I spent about six months intensively writing and continued to get the message out, give talks, uh, seminars, and I'm now writing another book. Amazing. And it's, you know, I suppose in the last couple of years, burnout for people in the the caring professions and the medical professions must have just, you know, we hear about it so much here in the UK in the news about how, you know, doctors and nurses and care workers are really struggling with all the pressures that the pandemic has has posed. And so, yeah, it must be a bigger issue than ever, I think, now. Yes, it is. It's, it's not limited to the healthcare profession, of course. Burnout is a phenomenon related to chronic stress. Its manifestations include exhaustion, both physical and emotional exhaustion. And I would say that life itself represents a chronic stress for most of us. And then when we have particular issues, whether personal, local, or global, that tend to uh, magnify that stress, obviously the signs and symptoms of burnout become much more noticeable and much worse. And so uh, I think that uh, it's a global phenomenon that is chronic stress. And in particular, this is a global pandemic, of course. And I think we all share this sort of low-grade or even worse exhaustion, physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion. And we need to more than ever, I think, identify what we can do about that to focus on our own stress, how to deal with it, how to become more personally resilient in effect. So this is, uh, I think, a great time to embrace tools that we all have access to in order to become more personally resilient human beings. Absolutely. What do you mean by resilient? What does that mean? And why is that so important? Sure. Well, I would say that resilience is the ability to 
minimize our stress levels in the face of stressful events. We do that, in my opinion, and as I've written about, by acquiring and practicing tools in order to sort of let the stress level diminish, let things that are stressful kind of pass right through us without interacting with our sympathetic nervous system and causing our heart rate to go up, our blood pressure to go up, our blood sugar to go up, and all the other physiologic changes that are associated with chronic stress. And the good news is that we have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity. So our brains can change if we're purposeful about addressing the way our brains work. Unfortunately, our brains do work in some ways that interfere with our ability to cope, interfere with our ability to have self-esteem, interfere with our ability to relax and especially to be present. And happiness really lives in the present moment. And so unfortunately, our brains are wired to overthink the past and the future and also to have a negativity bias. That is, we tend to remember and hang on to negative thoughts and experiences while forgetting about the positive ones. So I think that our negativity bias and our obsession with the past and the future are two qualities that seem to be hardwired into our brains. And again, the good news is that we're, if we're purposeful, we can actually rewire our brains and change the way we think for the better. What do you mean by neuroplasticity? Can you explain that a bit? Because some people might have heard that or they might not be sure what that, what that actually means. Sure. Well, let's just take our negativity bias. I think, first of all, it's important to recognize that we're not alone in terms of the way our brains work. I think we've evolved as humans in some ways to think in ways that interfere with our ability to be happy. And I can imagine what the survival advantage might have been about constantly thinking about the future, even though that tends to generate fear and anxiety. Perhaps uh, 30 or 40,000 years ago, when our forebears, Homo sapiens, were living in caves, we had to be concerned about the possibility that there was a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the mouth of our cave. We always had to be on guard. And so our brains have evolved in such a way that we are, in fact, on guard. We think of the worst thing that could happen. Um, We tend to overthink that, even though that event will likely never transpire. And this generates a lot of fear and anxiety. And the fact is, there's really no longer a saber-toothed tiger lurking at the mouth of the cave. There is no cave. Most of us live in pretty safe, comfortable environs. You know, we don't have any reason to be so fearful and so focused on the worst thing that might transpire. But this is the way our brains have evolved. So back to your question about neuroplasticity, we have this sort of hardwired tendency to overthink the future as well as the past. And when we do that with the past, it generates a lot of shame and regret and self-doubt. So neuroplasticity means that if we're purposeful and we focus on new ways of thinking, we can actually change the way we think. We can rewire our brains to be more positive and present. That's the good news. So the next question is, how do we do that? Mm, Okay, that is good news. I think think lots of us forget that when we get ingrained in our 
negative thought patterns or we're, we're overcome with anxiety and we just feel really stuck. It's so easy to forget that we can change our brains. Um, so were you going to share something around a way to actually do that? You know, how can people, people change? Yes. So as you know, since you've read my book, my personal practice and that which I teach and discuss is called GAIN or the GAIN method. And GAIN is in capital letters and it's an acronym for what I think are the four pillars of the right way of thinking and experiencing our existence. And they are gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So if you'd like, we can walk through those one at a time. Yeah, fab, please. Gratitude is really central to happiness. I think that this is intuitive. We uh, recognize that you can be poor and happy. You can be physically challenged and happy. There are lots of examples of both of those. You just won't see somebody who is ungrateful and happy. And I think that tells us right away that gratitude is an essential ingredient in happiness. No matter how bad we think things are, they could always be worse. And we, we can decide whether we want to focus on the good things in our lives or those things that cause us pain and suffering. It's really a decision that we make. In a way, every thought that we have is a decision to have that thought as opposed to other thoughts. We are in charge of our thought processes. So that's the first thing to recognize. So, for example, if we find ourselves feeling sorry for ourselves, missing our friends, missing the personal interactions that we're used to, uh, missing that camaraderie and fondness and love we share with other people, and we're feeling badly that we're not able to do that in a physically present manner, let's remind ourselves how fortunate we are to have the internet, for example, and this dialogue that you and I are having, sharing each other's experience right now, is an amazing gift. And we have many other gifts. We can, we can relate to one another virtually, fortunately, because we have vaccine, which in and of itself, I think, is a bit of a medical miracle. We can be together physically outdoors without our masks on or indoors generally with our masks on. And this is really amazing that because of the vaccine, we're so much better off than we were a little over 100 years ago during the great influenza pandemic of 1918. So when we're sitting and feeling sorry for ourselves and how bad things are, let's remember how much better things are than they were 100 years ago. The uh, prevalence of death or mortality related to the influenza epidemic of 1918 is significantly greater than that we're experiencing now, as bad as things are. So when we're stuck in negative thoughts about all of the adverse ramifications of this pandemic and how it's negatively affected our lives, let's have a little light bulb go off and rewire or retool and begin to think about how grateful we are for all the gifts that we have that mitigate the potential suffering that might otherwise be associated with this pandemic. So that when we start to feel fortunate because we have these gifts, we have the loved ones, we have the ability to connect with people virtually, if not physically. When we're thinking negative thoughts, we can train our brains to have a little light bulb go off and re 
assess and have more positive feelings of gratitude. So gratitude is a wonderful thing. If people are so inclined to write things down, gratitude journaling is terrific. Otherwise, just uh, as we sit in the morning and have our brief gain meditation, we start with getting in touch with our breath and slowing it down. And this kind of lowers the amount of adrenaline or epinephrine in our body. And then we transition to thoughts of gratitude. And then we can continue with acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. But uh, this is a, a, a manifestation of how neuroplasticity is a gift that we can use to our advantage if we simply recognize it and make a decision to change the way we think little by little. We didn't get to think in this way, this negative way overnight. We're not going to change it overnight. The key is to take baby steps in the right direction and very gradually embrace gratitude to a greater extent, a tiny bit every day. Mm, I love that. I love that. And yeah, I can see how, um, you know, it's something that I do in my own life and I, I quite often do it before bed. I think about what are the good things that happened that day and kind of putting my head on the pillow is my cue to do it then. But yeah, how, like you said, you could write it down. You can just think it. It's about catching the, the thoughts and, and thinking about things in a different way. Well, you bring up a great example of how intention, which is the I in game, can change the way we think. You know, uh, we can get back to acceptance in a minute. But uh, since you mentioned that practice of yours before you go to sleep at night, it reminds me of an ongoing study and program at Duke University in the United States, whereby people sign up and they make a commitment to practice what's called three good things. And that means that before they go to sleep at night, they think of or think of and write down three good things that happen to them during the day. So today, I'm sure I will include what a beautiful day it is here in Northern California. I'm sure I will reflect back on meeting you, Chloe, and having this wonderful dialogue with you is a good thing that happened to me today. Undoubtedly, I'll have a wonderful meal uh, at dinner time tonight with fresh produce and so on, and, and that will be a good thing. Plan to go for a nice long walk today. So there's lots of good things we can always remember before we go to sleep at night. And the reason I brought up the Duke Three Good Things program is in thousands and thousands of subjects who have joined the Three Good Things program uh, and who have taken sequential quality of life happiness surveys, what they've shown is that simply by thinking of three good things before we go to sleep at night, we become happier and our sleep is improved. So this is something, as you know, that really takes no time at all. You can think of three or more good things that happen during the day as you're turning down the bed linens, for example. And just that simple act of applying our intention to our thought process actually makes us happier. So uh, I think that's a wonderful example of both intention and neuroplasticity. Yeah, incredible. So simple. And I love that there's you know really good science to back up that actually that does make a difference. And even to people's sleep, that's quite surprising but it's amazing news if that's the case and I hope people listening are gonna start doing this now yeah yeah well I think we can all relate to how we tend to be negative we have this negativity bias so many of us before we go to sleep have a habit of mulling over the events of the day and often holding on to something 
that we consider negative that happened during the day. So, uh, you know, I tell the story in the book of working with a trainee in the operating room, providing anesthesia to a number of patients who were having big operations, very challenging cases. And the resident did everything flawlessly. She missed one little procedure that I had to step in and do. But other than that, the myriad of things that she did were very positive. The patients all emerged from anesthesia comfortable after their surgery and with uh, you know very good physiologic parameters and uh, were discharged from the recovery room in a timely fashion. And that resident goes home and has dinner with her husband. And as she's taking stock of her day before she goes to sleep, does she think about all the things that went well, which were you know, 99% of everything that transpired with us during the day. No, she actually thinks about that one little negative thing, that missing that one procedure that I had to come in and do. And that that's a very poignant example of our negativity bias. And when we have negative thoughts and when we're thinking of what didn't go well during the day before we go to sleep, it bumps up our stress level. And it's not hard to understand how that would interfere with our sleep and detract from our ability to be happy. It's quite simple. Mm, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think, yeah, we've all had experiences like that where everything goes well apart from that one thing. And that's the thing that you obsess over and, you know, are kind of mulling over maybe for days, days later. Absolutely. So acceptance, um, maybe we can talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, great. As the serenity prayer would have it, we need to discern between what we can change and what we cannot change and accept and open our hearts to those things that bring us pain that we cannot change. And of course, much of what's happening around us that causes suffering, just the the global suffering associated with the pandemic, our individual fears about our own mortality concern for our loved ones, uh, our own future. These are all things that, that represent pain. And pain is part of life just as much as joy is part of life. As you may recall, there's a formula in my book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance. Yes, I was going to ask you about this. Yeah. Uh, the opposite of resistance is acceptance. So there are lots of ways to resist painful thoughts and experiences. Um, We can try not to think about them. We can try to rationalize them. But when we do that, when we resist that which brings us pain, we actually magnify our suffering. So it doesn't make these thoughts or experiences go away. It actually, through kind of submerging them, they'll always come back up, bubble up to the surface, magnified. And so our suffering is increased when we try to resist things that are painful. On the other hand, we have the ability to sit and as we breathe deeply with our eyes closed and we've contemplated that for which we're grateful, we transition to acceptance. Think of something that brings pain. With me, the first thing that usually comes to mind is the death of my beloved son at the age of 29, almost five years ago. And that's something that I I cannot change. And so I contemplate the feeling I get in response to that thought. And then I actually picture as I'm doing my deep breathing and and slowing my thought processes down, I I picture bringing that pain closer and closer and actually having my chest open, my heart open, bringing this pain inside my heart, embracing it fully and 
totally accepting it and just sort of with my breath, recognizing that it's not something I can change. And when I fully accept it and bring it into my heart and merge with this feeling, I realize it's not as bad as it initially appeared, that it is something that I can live with. And I sort of breathe with this feeling, embracing full acceptance, complete lack of resistance. And then I transition to intention. But the point is that by fully accepting this pain, I've reduced my suffering. And I think those truly enlightened human beings throughout history, whether it's Jesus or the Buddha or others, have or had learned to fully accept that which is painful. And, and therefore, by dropping the resistance to pain, their suffering receded. And ideally, I think enlightenment, enlightenment might be described in part as full acceptance of what is. In other words, lowering our resistance to what is to zero. And therefore, our suffering becomes non-existent as well. And I think that might be a way to define enlightenment. So we may not be able to quite achieve complete letting go of resistance to everything painful, but we can take baby steps day by day and gradually become more accepting of those things that cause us pain that we cannot change. And I think that is an essential ingredient in happiness. So gratitude is essential, acceptance is essential, and then we transition to intention. And again, the Three Good Things program reminds us that the very simple intention of thinking of three good things before we go to sleep gradually rewires our brain away from this negativity bias toward a more positive way of thinking. And again, we have this neuroplasticity. We have the opportunity to rewire our brains toward presence and happiness through intention. This episode of the Karma You podcast is sponsored by Murad Skincare. Founded by Dr. Howard Murad, MD, Murad Skincare is a line of clinically proven, cruelty-free products that meet the meticulous standards for safety, efficacy and care you'd expect from a doctor. A true reflection of Dr. Murad's philosophy and lifelong mission to help his patients and consumers live happier, healthier lives, Murad has launched a digital magazine called Well Connected by Murad, connecting the dots between science and wellness. There are stories on the skin, the body and the mind with headlines like Love Yourself and Stay Hydrated, You Beautiful Capable Human by female collective founder Candice Reels. Mirror gazing isn't vain and does wonders for your stress and mental health and frozen cucumber and driving gloves. Seven Korean mom skincare tips from Skinfluenza star Dr. Zion Ko Lam. You can read the digital magazine Well Connected by Murad at wellconnected.murad.com. And when you visit murad.co.uk or murad.com, you can save 20% and get free shipping on orders over $60 when you enter the code KARMAU at checkout. So KARMAU is all in capitals, C-A-L-M-E-R-Y-O-U. Enter that code for 20% off. Yeah, it's really, really powerful. And I, I really like the way you, you're actually describing an, a kind of instruction for acceptance, because sometimes I find that you might hear, oh, I've got to accept this, but actually 
we're not necessarily sure how to do that. And you talked about actually sort of bringing it, bringing it in and kind of instead of pushing it away, actually letting it into your heart. And I thought that found, find that really helpful. And yeah, definitely is going to help me to, to actually know what, I, what the process is to kind of accept something, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And again, there's no such thing as failure. Let's not put too much pressure on ourselves. Let's recognize that, again, we didn't become resistant to everything in the world that doesn't conform to the way we'd like it. We didn't become that way overnight. And we're not going to become fully accepting overnight of everything that causes us pain or discomfort. But baby steps, a little bit at a time, one little game meditation at a time, you know, one day at a time, as it were. So this is the good news. The good news is that we can make steady progress toward happiness. And just by embracing this practice, little by little, we can uh, look back after several months and recognize, you know, gee, I, I, I'm thinking in a more positive way. I, I'm feeling more optimistic. I'm feeling happier. And, and that's the key is just making progress in small steps. Yeah, it's a really good reminder. It's, it's kind of easy, I think, for some of us to, you know, berate ourselves if we're not, you know, if our spiritual growth isn't happening fast enough or we're working on ourselves and it seems like we take a step back. But you're, you're so right. We've got to take it one one day at a time and know that we're not going to do it perfectly, but just keep coming back to these simple ideas. We are our own harshest critics, for sure. And that gets us really to the N in gain, which is non-judgment. And again, our brains are wired to constantly evaluate everything in our, our environment, both our external environment and our internal environment, our thought processes. We're always evaluating everything. And we tend to compare each idea, item, what have you, person to others and to ourselves. And because of our negativity bias, we often compare ourselves to others, for example, unfavorably. That person is better looking than I am. Uh, she is smarter than I am. And again, this is our negativity bias combined with our habitual evaluating and comparing everything in our environment. And the good news, again, is that we can learn to let go of these judgments. We don't have to label everything as good or bad. And again, these gain elements are very much intertwined. So acceptance plays a role in non-judgment. So if we just accept things for exactly the way they are, first we have to see things the way they are. And when we're constantly comparing and judging, we're actually failing to see things exactly as they are. So if I'm thinking, oh, well, that person is smarter than I am, I'm not really seeing that person or myself quite clearly. There's no real need to make such a judgment. What if I just accept that person's intelligence for what it is and my own, for that matter, without comparing them, without rendering them good or bad? And so when I'm doing my game meditation, I've slowed down my breath with my eyes closed, sitting comfortably, hopefully in a quiet spot in the house after I wake up in the morning. And then I've transitioned through gratitude, acceptance, intention. And when I get to non-judgment, I picture one of these beautiful NASA images of the earth apparently floating in space just by itself and thinking what a beautiful planet it is. It's 
our earth. It's our home. It's neither good nor bad. We can ascribe these qualities to it, but we're just really fooling around with judgments. The earth is the earth. There may be a variety of things going on on the surface of the planet, but the planet earth is neither good nor bad. And if we just sort of breathe that in and imagine, yes, the earth is neither good nor bad, then it's only logical to turn toward ourselves and let go of judgment comparably. So I am simply the person that I am. I'm neither good nor bad. And if I can see myself the way I look at my environment and the earth, for example, in this little exercise, I can learn to drop the self-judgments, again, which are generally negative. I think this is just a really powerful way of retraining the way we think a little bit at a time. Just drop those judgments. So we do our gain meditation. We go through the contemplation of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. We go back to our breath, and then we slowly open our eyes. And let's say we make a commitment to work on one of these elements today. So let's say I make the intentional commitment to drop judgment of the first person that I begin to judge poorly. So let's say we're driving to work. We've done our game meditation. There's somebody driving ahead of us and they change into our lane, perhaps cutting us off a bit. No turn signal, very common in California. And we begin to form judgments of that driver. Oh, they're inconsiderate. Oh, they're not a good driver. Oh, they're this or that. And then a little light bulb goes off. And we remember that we just made a pledge to drop the judgments we begin to formulate of that first person that we have negative feelings and judgments about. And we give a little, uh, we laugh a bit to ourselves and then just drop the judgment. I don't know that person. Maybe, you know, it's a guy driving his wife to the hospital because she's in labor. But whatever his uh, purpose was or lack thereof, I don't have to judge him as good or bad in any way. And I just sort of get a little dopamine hit as I laugh and let go of those judgments. And that's what non-judgment is. It's something that we can practice with intention and we can accept that which we encounter exactly for what it is without rendering judgments of good or bad. And it's a very powerful way of thinking and a very liberating way of thinking. These constant judgments that we make are really rather exhausting. They sort of soak up a lot of our mindful energy and there's nothing really productive about it in general. We, it's not to say that we shouldn't be discerning, but there's difference between discernment and judgment. Mm. Yeah. I'm often amazed at my, my brains, my mind's capacity to to want to label things like, is this better or worse than something else? Is this, is, who's right and who's wrong in this situation? And my, my mind loves to do all that. And I think, yeah, you, you describing this has really just reminded me to come back to remembering that nothing is good or bad. Actually, something, something in me wants to label things, but actually I don't need to do that. I can just accept things at face value and I don't have to, yeah, put, put that label on it. But it's, yeah, such an interesting idea and definitely something that I notice myself doing a lot. Yeah, well, you're not alone, Chloe. I think we're, we're all imbued with these ways of thinking, of being ungrateful, of being resisting, of being led around, you know, having our thought processes be rather passive and, and not exercising the intention that we can. And, and we're all 
you know, we all think in ways uh, where we make a lot of judgments. And again, it's exhausting and unproductive. And these are all very simple principles. You know, it's not that difficult to be less judgmental. You just have to do it intentionally. You know, one of my heroes is Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who I, I see as a, really the founding father of mindfulness. And he defined mindfulness as the awareness of the present moment on purpose without judgment. So the, the, there are several important principles there. One is being aware of the present moment. And that is really just so important if we want to be happier people. So we're taking, a, you know, we turn the shower on in the morning. We get into the shower. We experience the warm water cascading over our body. And again, we can exercise gratitude. I mean, actually, we take it for granted. But what a wonderful thing it is that we can just turn a dial, you know, pull a knob and be able to get under this cascade of warm water, of hot water. It's, it's rather miraculous. And as we're standing under the shower, we can be mindful of the experience of that warm water running down our skin and, you know, immersing ourselves in that sensation, being aware of the present moment, whatever it is we're doing, whether we're having lunch, we can really be aware of all the tastes and sensations and the miracle that this food was so accessible to us. We didn't have to go out and hunt or, you know, spend hours and hours uh, foraging for food. What a miracle it is that actually we, um, you know, can just open a refrigerator and, and take out these beautiful, nourishing foods. And, you know, we can be grateful for that. And, you know, it takes intention to be aware of the present moment. Again, because beside negativity, our brains tend to fixate on the past and the future in ways that are maladaptive. So let's be more aware of each present moment and that will bring us happiness. And then of course, intention. We need to do this on purpose because our brains are wired to go to the past and future. So if we wanna be more aware of the present experience, which actually is the only experience we ever really have, is this experience in this moment. We need to exercise intention because we need to purposefully rewire the way we think. And the good news, again, is it's not that difficult. These principles are all rather simple. So being more aware of the present moment on purpose, with intention, and without judgment. These are accessible ways of thinking and being. Mm, yeah, yeah. And and yet so many of us find it so difficult. It's, it sounds like it should be so simple, just be, be in the present moment. And yet it it can be very difficult for some people, I suppose. We actually have to train our minds to be able to do that. Are there what do you personally do? Do you do you do things like meditation or are there certain things that you you do to help yourself to stay present? Well, I do my gain meditation every morning. And you know, we talk about meditation. I think a lot of people have sort of a negative connotation. They they were told or taught that in order to meditate, you have to sit in one position, possibly not the most comfortable position, say for 30 minutes without moving, without scratching an itch, and without having any thoughts in your head at all. And actually, that's not true. There are many kinds of meditation. And the game meditation is very simple. We just get up in the morning, we open the blinds, we do our morning hygiene thing. And then 
we find a comfortable, quiet place to sit for as little as three or four minutes. And we find that place to sit. Uh, maybe it's a chair in our, in our living room. And we simply close our eyes. We get in touch with our breath. We slow it down. We feel the miracle of the air coming into our body through our nose and expanding our chest. And then without any effort at all, letting go of that breath and repeating that. And then we go through the contemplation of the gain elements, gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment, then return to the breath and, and then open our eyes. So we can do this in just a few minutes. And instead of trying to banish all thoughts from our heads, we're actually providing these elements of gain to focus on. So it's just a, it, we're guiding our thoughts. We're not trying to banish them. And so this is what I do every morning. And when you begin to really assimilate this practice into your way of life, your way of being and way of thinking, these elements become more and more accessible. So again, when I feel sorry for myself, when I'm starting to complain, a little light bulb goes off pretty quickly now and I go to my gratitude. So I just kind of shift these negative thoughts to positive thoughts, which are the real, the real thoughts. It's not, we're not just imagining that life is a bowl of cherries, as it were. We're, we're focusing on real experience. And there's so much for which to be grateful. Just take getting into that shower in the morning. You know, we can think, oh, you know, it took three minutes for the water to get warm, and now it's still not warm enough. And, you know, I'm in a hurry, and so I need to rush through this. Or we can enjoy the miracle of the warm water, you know, as I said, cascading over our body. So these are very accessible elements. And when we find ourselves being ungrateful or resisting or feeling like we have no control over our thoughts or exercising judgments that are interfering with our, our clarity of thought and our ability to be happy, we recognize it very quickly once we've kind of assimilated this very simple practice into our daily life and we can re we can rewire our thought processes for the better so that's my practice and uh that's the practice that i teach and i've written about yeah i love that it's, it's interesting i um two years ago spent some time in the amazon jungle we lived with a tribe and there was no toilets no running water no showers and we slept in hammocks. And for, for months afterwards, I was unbelievably like running water was this amazing thing. And I sometimes think, you know, how can we get back that kind of wonder and gratitude for these everyday things that we we do take for granted? Because it's just, you know, we expect that we're going to have toilets that flush and hot showers. But yeah, you, you saying that and describing that, you know, I know that tomorrow when I get in the shower, I'm going to be a lot more mindful, a lot more aware and and kind of grateful for it. So yeah, thank you for, for that reminder. Absolutely. Well, one, one final question, I suppose, is around immunity and how this links in, because I suppose a lot of us are thinking about our immunity at the moment with, with COVID and all that. How, how does, and you've spoken about happiness and how these sort of practices can help with, with happiness. Can they also help with our immunity and, and the kind of physical health and, um, of our bodies? Absolutely. Well, what we're talking about with gain, for example, is personal resilience. And that means allowing the stress that we experience to sort of fall away. So to kind of de-stress by being present, by being more positive, this lowers our stress level. And 
the facts are that chronic stress wreaks havoc with our physiology. So it causes an increase in epinephrine or adrenaline in our bodies that increases our heart rate, our blood pressure. It puts a stress on our heart and our vascular system as well. Stress also increases the cortisol in our bloodstream, which suppresses our immune system, makes it more difficult for us to fight infection, for example. So stress and immunity are very closely linked. Stress also, uh, you know, plays havoc with our hormones, prevents us from sleeping well. And that, of course, is part of a self-propagating loop where we don't sleep well, we're fatigued, we tend to pick up so-called comfort foods that are sugary and fatty because we want that temporary boost. We pay a price, we crash afterwards, and we're tired, so we tend not to exercise regularly. So the three pillars of our physical well-being, which are sleep, exercise, and nutrition, all suffer when we're chronically stressed. And again, this kind of is self-propagating, and that includes adverse changes in our physiology, including our immunity. So stress and the immune system are very closely linked. Chronic stress impairs our immunity. And again, the good news is that we can get a handle on this and acquire ways of living and thinking that are associated with less and less stress and therefore less adverse effect on our cardiovascular system, our immune system, and our sleep. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, more and more reasons to to employ this practice that you've shared so generously. Thank you so much for everything you've shared. It's been so really inspiring talking to you. And I feel, yeah, very, yeah, I'm definitely going to do the the gain meditation tomorrow and, and really try and incorporate that. It sounds really powerful. Can you share a bit about where people can find out about you and anything that you offer or buy your book, that sort of thing? Sure. My, my website is greghammermd.com. G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. There are a lot of uh, media there, so people can see interviews and, and there's a lot of visual media there as well. The book, Gain Without Pain, it's, it's subtitled The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals, but I think anybody would benefit from reading it. It's a very easy conversational read. It's on Amazon and it's also, uh, there's a link on my website. Amazing. Thank you so much for everything you shared. It's really my pleasure, Chloe. Uh, Happy to be with you anytime. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.